I'll encourage you to grab a Bible, and uh, if you brought one, please uh, grab it and turn to John chapter 20, and uh, we are going to study just the first 18 verses, um, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, Have you ever been so convinced that something was one way or something was true, but then you discovered that actually it was almost the opposite of what you thought? Um, whatever you call it, scientists or philosophers, they came up with a, uh, a term for this. It's called the Mandela effect. Um, and it comes from, uh, it's, it's named after Nelson Mandela because for years people were convinced that he had actually died. And he hadn't yet. But they were convinced. No, I saw, specifically there was a newspaper article that people quoted. No, I remember that article in the 1980s that announced that Nelson Mandela had died. And people were like, Yeah, but he didn't. He's still alive. You are remembering incorrectly, right? Uh, And there's so many examples of this. We can put some um, pictures up. Uh, And they've they've done studies of the Mandela effect. So if you want to put the first um, picture up. Like, does Curious George have a tail or not? Now, some of you are like, I'm pretty sure he has a tail. I remember seeing that in the show or in the books. And some of you are like, no, he doesn't have a tail. I'm not going to answer that for you. Um, Does he or doesn't he, right? Who knows? Uh, The next one you can put up. Um, There were people, and I was one of them, who were convinced that it was the Berenstein Bears, like the Berenstein Bears, but it's actually the Berenstain Bears. Uh, If you watch the show and the song, it's the Berenstain Bears. The first time I I, I heard that song, I was like, that's wrong. It's the Berenstein Bears. Which is it? Right? Oh, you can go to the next one. Is it uh, Fruit Loops or like fruit, like fruit with two O's? And there's people on both camps. No, I swear back in the day it was just fruit like how it's actually spelled. No, has it always been the, like the loops? Right? And we could go on and on. I'll encourage you after. This is good lunch debate. No, he has a tail. But the point is that, you, right, you can be so convinced of something, and then it can kind of rock your world a little bit when you're like, well, well wait, like, it's, is it the opposite of what I've always believed? Now, those are like very silly examples. No one cares about Curious George, right? It doesn't affect your life. But what we're going to see today in our text is we're going to see three very Jewish people coming face to face with a reality that did not fit their worldview. A reality that was the opposite of really everything they believed, right? They, They had no category for Jesus not staying dead. Like when Jesus died, his disciples, they had no category in their mind that, oh yeah, he'll, he'll be raised from the dead. That wasn't in their, their worldview. And what we're going to see in, in today's text is Mary, Peter, and John, they're going to encounter an empty tomb and they're going to have to wrestle with, okay, what just happened to Jesus? Where is he? Right? And, and, and I want you to, like, we have an, an advantage as students of the word because we have the whole story. We know as we read this, these accounts, we know that Jesus was raised from the dead and he's alive today. But you have to put yourself into a first century Jew's mindset as they come and encounter something that they have never encountered before. And, and, and so that's what we're going to look at Uh, This morning, last week, if you were here, we we studied just the brutal death of Jesus. 
um, his crucifixion. And we, we read that at the, at the very end of chapter 19, Jesus has been right, uh, anointed with spices, his body has been wrapped up, and they've placed his dead body in a tomb. And so this week, we want to study the resurrection of Jesus because his, his crucifixion and his resurrection go hand in hand. Um, if, if all we had was the crucifixion of Jesus, well, then our faith is meaningless, uh, he had to be raised from the dead because if Jesus was just a really great guy who died and stayed dead, then he was a liar and we shouldn't believe in him and we shouldn't follow him. If there's no resurrection, then, then Jesus is not who he said he was. And so this morning, it's really examining why is the resurrection so crucial to our faith. So uh, we're going to just kind of walk through the passage verse by verse and uh, try and understand this. So verse 1, this is how it begins. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So uh, just a couple of thoughts as we work our way through. The, the, the first day of the week is Sunday. And so maybe some of you are already going, wait a second. So Jesus was crucified, killed, buried Friday afternoon, Friday night, and now it's, the, it's Sunday, but all throughout Scripture we're told that Jesus was raised from the dead three days later. And if you go by our Western kind of calculation of time, it's like, it's like, a, it's like two days, really. It's like a day and a half. So you go, how, did, is Scripture wrong that Jesus was raised from the dead three days later? If he's killed on a Friday and raised on a Sunday, how is that three days? So we have to, again, lay aside our North American mindset. And in the Jewish worldview, the people counted any part of the day as counting as the entire day. So Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday morning, in the Jewish worldview, that's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's three days. That is how they calculated time. They wouldn't have said like, oh, it's like a day and three quarters. No, it's three days. Any part of the day counts as the full day. So that's why scripture says he was raised from the dead three days later. So it's Sunday morning and we're, we're introduced to Mary Magdalene. She comes to the tomb early, very, like while it's still dark. And there's not a whole lot we know about Mary. Um, we're told this in Luke chapter 8 verse 2. Uh, Luke is describing some of the followers of Jesus. And he says, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And that's kind of all we're told about Mary Magdalene. Jesus had miraculously healed her. She was a woman who had seven demons, and those seven demons had been cast out of her. And then she followed Jesus. Um, she's mentioned in all four Gospels as, as being uh, at the crucifixion and also at the tomb on Sunday morning. So what we see here, what we can kind of glean from this, is that Mary's devotion to Jesus was based on her gratitude to him from delivering her from this bondage to Satan. Like, Jesus miraculously freed her from seven demons, and we see, like, she's one of the women, women at the crucifixion. She's, in our text, she's the first woman at the, the tomb on Sunday morning. I mean, clearly, she was devoted to Jesus. Now, we're told that the stone uh, had been taken away from the tomb. 
And we're not told in John's gospel, but in the other gospel accounts, we're told that they placed Jesus in the tomb and then they rolled a big stone in front of the entrance. And we're actually told in the other gospel accounts that Pilate himself put a seal on it, being like, no one is allowed to open this tomb. And so Mary arrives early in the morning and the stone has been rolled away from the entrance of the tomb. Okay, so verse two. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Mary, like, put yourself there. Mary sees the tomb, the stone is rolled away, and her first reaction is, someone has stolen Jesus' body. Um, which, again, right, if you don't have a worldview for the Messiah being raised from the dead, what else could have happened? If Jesus isn't there, she would have assumed, okay, well, there were grave robbers. Maybe these were um, uh, enemies of Jesus who were just kind of messing with them, or, or maybe some of the disciples stole the body and, and to try and, you know, do something with it. But all, all Mary thinks is, okay, someone has stolen the body and hidden Jesus' body, There's no thought yet, right? Mary doesn't go and say, hey, Jesus is alive. This is amazing. Because think about what she saw. Mary was one of the women who who saw Jesus die. He had been brutally beaten. He had been flogged on two separate occasions. He had been nailed to a cross. They had uh, shoved a spear in his side. His limp and lifeless body had been put in a tomb. And now the body's gone. So, right, logically, Mary goes, someone stole the body. And so she goes and tells Simon Peter, and most likely John is the other disciple, right? Because we've seen throughout this gospel, John sometimes refers to himself as just the other disciple. He's nameless in his own gospel. So it's Simon Peter and John. So here's what happens, verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Isn't that great? Um, I I actually saw a meme where it was like John was writing, hey, Peter, I included you in my book. He's like, oh, the part where I'm like the rock where Jesus builds his church on? He's like, no, the part where I beat you in that race. (laughs) Isn't that great? So so Peter and John, they they run to the tomb and, and we're told, John outruns Peter. He's faster. And listen, there has been so much uh, emphasis on what is the spiritual significance of John beating Peter. I've literally heard maybe it means that uh, one represents the Gentile church and one represents the Jewish church. And maybe, maybe you know, Peter is this and John is that. And there's all these, you know, debates about what is the theological significance. Do you want to know the significance of why John includes that he got there first? Because he did. That's it. Why did John include that? Because it happened. They both ran and John beat them. Like there's no hidden knowledge thing here. It's just, this is John's account of what happened. And it happened. So verse 5, they both arrived, but actually John gets there first. Says this, and stooping to look in. So this is John. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded 
up in a place by itself. So, right, John, John doesn't go in the tomb. He just kind of stoops to look in, and he sees linen cloths, but no body. And then Peter, don't you love Peter? Like, because it's just so Peter just to be like, let me in. And he goes into the tomb, and he sees the same thing, just, just linen cloths. Now, I'll remind you, because we talked about it last week, but that's what they would do. They would take a dead body. They would pack spices around the body to kind of ward off the, the stink of the, the dead flesh. But then they would wrap the body up. Right? And, and sometimes it would just be wrapped in one. We're told that there was a separate cloth for Jesus' face, but he would have been wrapped up tight. And so John and Peter, they both see, okay, Jesus isn't here, but all the grave clothes are here. Right? So, so picture trying to process that in your mind, having no concept that Jesus would have been raised from the dead, just going... Uh, what happened? All that is left are the grave clothes. And not only that, the face one is folded up neatly. It's like, so he, here's the significance of this. This proves that Jesus' body was not stolen. Because if grave robbers came or Jesus' enemies came or even his own disciples tried to come and steal Jesus' body, which is, which is, we're told in Matthew's account that that rumor was started to spread by the chief priests. Hey, what we're going to tell everyone is that the disciples stole the body. Well, this account proves that that's not true. Do you want to know why? No one in their right mind, if they're coming in the cover of darkness to steal a body, would say, hey, let's take all, all the grave clothes off first and make sure you fold them. That's this lunacy. No one would do that. You're just in and out to steal a body. Now, the, the other significant comparison here is we've seen one other resurrection in John's gospel, right? When Lazarus was raised from the dead um, by Jesus. And what we're told in that account in John 11 is that Raz La Jesus says to Lazarus, you know, come out. And how does he come out? He comes out bound in his grave clothes. And, and people have to help him, you know, take the grave clothes off. Here we see Jesus raised from the dead. He clearly took his time, <laughs> He removed his own grave clothes. Jesus presumably folded up the cloth that had been covering his head. So what we see is not just some other guy that was raised from the dead. We see the Son of God taking his time in control of, of everything. Right? So, so this, this must have been so puzzling to them. Again, so far, no one has said, Jesus is alive. So far, they're going, what happened to Jesus? Like, again, imagine something that you thought was so true. Jesus is dead. And now you're being presented with evidence to the contrary, and you're trying to make sense of it. So verse 8, it says, Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, right? John's just, just remember who got there first, also went in. And look at this. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So notice that John goes in and it says John saw and believed. What did he see? He saw the grave clothes and he believed. 
But the question is, well, what did he believe? Because right after, the very next part of the verse says, as of yet, they didn't understand that Jesus must be raised from the dead, right? They, they didn't understand the scriptures that had said that. But John believed something, right? He, he grasped onto something. He saw that Jesus wasn't there, and maybe in his limited knowledge, he believed, okay, something miraculous has happened. Maybe, maybe he believed, right? Jesus often said that I need to go and return to the Father. Maybe John just believed that that's what Jesus had done, that he's just gone for good, that he went back to the Father. We, we don't know for sure. But whatever it is, we see in John this inkling of belief. Something has happened. But it's not yet a full belief in the resurrection. And so we're told that um, they go back to their homes, because it's kind of like, what else would you do, right? If you, if you saw Jesus die, you saw his body, you knew that he was dead, and now you go to his tomb and the stones rolled away, all the grave clothes are there, it's folded up, and he's not there, what else would you do? You would just go, I don't know what happened. And so they return to their homes. And then the scene shifts. Verse 11, it says this, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. So the scene kind of shifts. Peter and, and John are gone now. And we're not told that, did Mary come later? Was she still waiting? We don't know. But the scene shifts, and it's like Mary is the only one there, and she is weeping. And the Greek word is um, kleo, which means like um, wailing, Right, like when you would uh, when you would be mourning and lamenting someone that died, you would weep and wail out loud, and so that's what Mary's doing. So it's not just like, yeah, I shed a few tears. No, she's like weeping and she is wailing because she doesn't know what happened or what's going on. And then verse twelve says this. So she 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 stoops to look in, and it says, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Right, so, so notice, even in the presence of angels, Mary's idea of what has happened is that someone has stolen the body of Jesus. I love um, that, that the angels say, why are you crying? Because from their point of view, what has just happened to Jesus, his absence from the tomb is a reason for joy. It's not, it's not time to wail and lament, right? And I don't think it's like because they didn't understand humanly what she was doing, but it was just kind of like, wait, why are you crying? Jesus is alive, right? Like there's no, there's no reason for your wailing and your weeping, Mary. But Mary just repeats to the angels what she told the disciples. We don't know where Jesus is. Someone stole his body. So even in the presence of the supernatural, right, it's like nothing has clicked yet for Mary where she goes, okay, something miraculous has happened. She's still holding on to this idea. Jesus is still dead. His body is just somewhere else. Then verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. So Mary sees Jesus 
and yet doesn't recognize him. And there's been many theories given to why. Why didn't she recognize him? Some have said, well, maybe it was still dark outside, right? We're told that she goes, she goes first really early in the morning, so maybe it was just too dark. She couldn't quite see who's that. Some have said, well, she's been weeping and crying. And, and you know if you've cried, sometimes your vision is blurry because there's tears in your eyes. So maybe, maybe it was just blurry, um, but I, I think that's, that's not quite what it is. There's a few times in the gospel, other times, after the resurrection, where Jesus hides his identity from people. Um, in Luke chapter 24, if you remember, the two people, uh, disciples are walking on the road, and Jesus comes and walks with them, and they don't recognize him. It says this in verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And then Jesus goes with them, and they're like, please stay with us. And so he goes into their home, and he's going to eat with them. And it says this in verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So Jesus clearly, right, he's God in the flesh, and part of his resurrection body is the ability to, to disguise himself from people's eyes, to vanish clearly, to open people's eyes. Even, we're going to study this next week, but in John 21, where disciples are fishing, and it says this in verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. So there's, there's more than just, oh, we didn't recognize you, right? They've, they've lived with this man for three and a half years, day in and day out, and yet Jesus stands on the shore and somehow they are kept from knowing that it's Jesus. I think that's what's happening here with Mary. It's not that her, her eyes were just too, you know, wet from the tears. It's because Jesus held back, somehow disguised his identity so she thought that he was a gardener. So there is a uniqueness about Jesus' resurrection body. Um, it can be touched. His body is physical, right? So don't hear in Luke 24 that Jesus vanished, that, okay, well, his resurrection was just a spiritual resurrection. He's just a spirit now. No, wrong, false. Uh, his, he rose bodily from the, the dead, and he can be touched, right? Jesus has a physical body. Um, we're told in John 20 that uh, his body bears the marks of his crucifixion. The scars. In John 21, Jesus cooks and eats fish, right? A spirit doesn't eat anything. And Jesus said, hey, let's, let's have breakfast together. Yet, Jesus can hide his identity from people. Jesus, in John 21, can appear in a locked room with all of his disciples. Jesus can vanish. And in our text this morning, Mary looks at Jesus and doesn't recognize him and thinks, well, it's just some gardener. And asks, well, maybe this guy knows where Jesus' body is. And here's where it gets amazing. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to, to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Right, so Jesus is standing in front of Mary, she doesn't recognize him, and then yet with one word, Mary simply says, or Jesus rather, simply says her name, and it's like the veil is lifted from her eyes, and she realizes, this is Jesus, and she responds with Rabboni, which is this 
uh, it, it's a, it means teacher, but it's, it's a term that is, you're, you're acknowledging the honor that is due to your teacher. And so then verse 17 is kind of hard to understand. Like Mary comes to this realization, Jesus is alive, he's standing right in front of me. And one of the first things Jesus says to her is, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And we go, why? Why did Jesus say that? Don't cling to me. Clearly, Mary has rushed over to Jesus, is either hugging him or most likely is bowing down and holding onto his feet. That was kind of a, ter- uh, uh, a posture of respect and love and adoration and, and just worshiping him. So she's probably on her face holding onto his feet. And then Jesus says, don't, don't cling to me. And so we go, why? Why, Jesus? Is he just like personal space, please, Mary? I don't think so. He says why. He says why Mary shouldn't cling to him. He says, for I have not ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them. So here's what it's not. Um, Jesus isn't saying, like, I'm just so holy that you're not allowed to touch me anymore. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because we see other examples in Luke 24, in John 20, in Matthew 28, of people touching the physical body of Jesus after he was raised from the dead, and Jesus welcoming it. Like, we'll see next week, Thomas, touch the nail holes, touch my si- uh, the, the, the scar in, in my side. So Jesus is not saying like, Mary, I am too holy now for you to touch me. I think this is what Jesus is saying. And it's connected to his ascension, right? We're gonna see after Jesus is raised from the dead, 40 days later, he ascends to heaven to go be with his father. And what he's telling Mary is, Mary, the way that you're gonna relate to me now as the resurrected Lord is no longer gonna be with your physical senses. Because Jesus is ascending to the father. And he's gonna do what? He's gonna send the spirit. So Mary, clinging to me, will will no longer be possible very soon. And not only that, but Mary, you've got a job to do. You can't just sit here clinging to me. Mary, go tell the others. You're the first person, Mary, to see Jesus alive. Don't cling to me. Go and tell people. And so then in verse 18, that's exactly what Mary does. Mary Magdalene went and announced to to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. So what we have is just an amazing account of the resurrection of Jesus. And in the next um, two weeks, what we're going to see is Jesus is going to continue to appear to other disciples. And and we're going to see the disciples come to a full realization of the resurrection. But in our text, I just love that we see Peter, John, and Mary, they're wrestling with belief in what happened. And until Jesus shows up physically in front of Mary, it's like Peter, John, and Mary, they just have no, they have no box that this, go, that this fits into in their worldview. They're like, what? That's why everyone is like, well, Jesus is clearly still dead. Someone just stole his body. Because no one is like, well, he's alive. He's resurrected from the dead. That just didn't fit into their worldview. Um, Even Peter, we're not told at this point whether Peter believes or not. I mean, he sees the evidence, and all we're told is that he goes back home. And then even in chapter 21, Peter just goes fishing again. It's kind of like, what else am I going to do? Right? In his mind, I think Peter still thinks Jesus is dead. 
And even we're told in the, uh, the other gospel accounts, when Mary comes and tells the disciples, do you know what, what the response was? Didn't happen, Mary. You're crazy. You saw something. Right? Because it just did not compute with them until Jesus physically stood in front of them. Now, John, we're told, believed something, but I don't think it was a fully formed belief in the resurrection of Jesus. He believed that something had happened, something miraculous. It was like, it was like John got to this place where he goes, I don't think, I don't think his body's just somewhere else. Something happened here. Um, and, and when it talks about Scripture being fulfilled, most likely that Psalm 1610 where it says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your holy one see corruption. Or Hosea 6.2, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. There's a few others too that in the Old Testament, it's like once Jesus stood in front of them and once the Holy Spirit was given, it, it's like all of the, the scriptures in the Old Testament made sense that they go, that's what Hosea is talking about. That's what the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about the resurrection. But as of now, they just cannot fully grasp what happened. Mary is left weeping at the tomb. She still believes someone has stolen the body. And I love that it took Jesus calling her by name for her to believe. Um, doesn't that just remind you of John 10 when Jesus says the sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out? What is salvation? Salvation is Jesus calling you by name. He knows his sheep. He calls them by name. And it's like Mary just cannot fathom what happened. And what did it take? It took Jesus saying, Mary. Right? He called her name and her eyes were opened. What moves Mary from the conviction that Jesus is dead to the realization that he's alive is Jesus calling her. Now, for us, right, today, faith in Jesus simply means believing that he died and that he rose from the dead. For us, faith means that you and I, we haven't seen the physical Jesus with our own eyes, but we believe by faith in these eyewitness accounts. We believe the word of God. And it's like you look at the evidence for the resurrection, and that leads you so far. But it, what does it take? It takes Jesus saying, Andrew, right? Graham, whatever your name is. It takes Jesus saying, calling you that you go, yes, this is true. I believe in this. That's what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian means... And the resurrection means that your relationship with Jesus is more than just remembering someone who died. Faith is an active trust in a Jesus who is unseen and yet he is alive. That's why Christianity is so different as, as a, a faith, right? as a religion or whatever you want to call it. Right? If it's, it's different than being a Buddhist or being a Muslim. If you're a Buddhist, you, your leader is dead, you're just remembering some really great things that he said. But Buddha can't save you. He's dead. And if you're a Muslim, you're believing Muhammad, who is dead, buried in the ground, rotting. And yet, faith in Jesus is not just, yeah, I have faith in the teachings of Jesus, that he was a really great guy, but he's dead. No, faith in Jesus is believing that he is alive. 
that he rose from the dead. And I love in our passage, you see this development of faith in Jesus. It's like faith just kind of works itself out in the disciples. They're presented with evidence of the resurrection, right? The stone's been moved. The, ro- uh, the grave clothes are there. There's angels there. In, other, in the other gospel accounts, the guards outside of the tomb are all passed out on the ground. Like there's evidence that Jesus is alive, and yet it takes Jesus showing up and calling them by name for them to place their trust and their faith in him. Jesus calls his sheep to come to him. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Right, faith, our faith doesn't come by seeing, it doesn't come by sight, right? Our faith today comes by hearing, by hearing the word of God, right? I often use Romans 10 when I talk to people when they go, what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you become a Christian? Because unfortunately, it's been twisted and warped so much that it's like, well, being a Christian means you have to try and be really, really, really good, you have to obey perfectly, and then if, if you're good and you obey Jesus, then at the end of your life, God kind of goes like, okay, you did more good than bad, okay, you're welcome to, to come in. Or we have so many twisted views of what salvation is, that we have to earn it, that we have to do certain things. Romans 10 says, what is salvation? Salvation is you confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord meaning he's Lord of my life, he's in charge, I am surrendering to him, and then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So you read the account of the resurrection and your heart goes, that's true, that happened. What does Paul say? You're saved. Confess that Jesus is Lord, believe that this happened, and you will be saved. Now here's the second aspect Right, you see faith going on here, and, and we could go down so many amazing rabbit trails, but we won't. The second aspect that is amazing in our passage is what Jesus says to Mary. Right, Jesus calls Mary by name, opens her eyes. She is now worshiping him at his feet, and this is what Jesus says. There is a fundamental change in the, the, um, the disciples' relationship to God. Jesus says, go to my brother's. And say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, we might just gloss, okay, that's great, but this is a milestone in the Gospel of John. First of all, Jesus calls his disciples brothers. Um, He's never done that before. And Jesus says that God is their Father as well, which he's never done before in the Gospel of John. There are 120 instances in the Gospel of John where God is called Father. This is the only instance in the Gospel of John where God is a father to anyone besides Jesus. All along, Jesus has said in the Gospel of John that God is his Father. I do my Father's will, my Father in heaven. And now, what does he say to Mary? Go tell my brothers that I'm ascending to not just my Father, but your Father. Not just my God, but your God. There is a, 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 a shift in their relationship status. Now, the disciples are Jesus' brothers. And before, in John 15, he said, no, well, you're my friends. But now Jesus is saying, now, you're my family. Like, Jesus is being presented, he's our older brother. 
He says, you're my brothers and my sisters now. Why? Because he was raised from the dead. He goes, you're, you're my family now, and God is actually your father too now. So what has happened? Like, because Jesus died and was raised from the dead, those who trust in him have been welcomed into the family of God. Um, John 1, 12 basically told us this right at the beginning of the gospel, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, you, you know, there's that kind of saying that you sometimes hear in culture where it's just like, well, you know, you know no matter what, we're all just children of God. No, we're not. Who are the children of God? Those who God has given the right to become his children. Through what? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God loves everyone, but we're not all his children. Who are his children? Those who trust in Jesus. And it's like Jesus says, welcome, brothers and sisters, and now God is your father because of what I've done for you. Um, Other places, Galatians 3 says, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Um, Hebrews 2.11, for he who sanctifies us and those who are being sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus is not ashamed to say that those who trust in him, they're his brothers and sisters. So I I hope that you're, you're seeing how crucial and incredible the resurrection of Jesus is He's raised from the dead, and what that does, some, um, some theologians say that it vindicated Jesus. It means it confirmed that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, right? Jesus said that he was God in the flesh. Jesus said he had the authority to forgive sins. Jesus says that he was the one through, through, whom, uh, through which everything was created, and then they killed him, and if he had not been raised from the dead, we could conclude, well, Jesus lied about all those things. But Jesus was vindicated. He was proved to be right. Why? Because he was raised from the dead. And our faith is believing that this took place, that this happened. And so what happens is we're presented with the evidence of the resurrection, but then Jesus calls us by name, doesn't he? I mean, he opens our eyes. We hear his voice. We believe by faith in him. He calls us brothers and sisters. We're children of God welcomed into his family. All of this is not possible if Jesus is dead still. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ is not raised, then our faith is foolish. And we're still in our sins. Like it's not enough to say, well, Jesus was great. He's still dead, but he just helps me out a little bit. No, that's foolishness, Paul says. But the amazing thing is that Jesus is alive, seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses. Paul says 500 people at one time saw Jesus resurrected, alive, standing in front of them. And Jesus' body has never been found. So we look at the evidence and we go, all the evidence points to Jesus being alive, and then by faith, right, we confess, okay, Jesus, if, if, if this is true, then you are Lord, and I believe that God raised you from the dead, and Paul says, you're saved. You receive forgiveness of sins. You're welcomed into God's family. So really, at the end of the day, it's just praise God that Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. 
He didn't stay dead. He proved, like the song that we sang, right? He did exactly what he said he would do. And he is exactly who he says he is. And so, church, have faith in him. Trust in that. That is our salvation. And it should lead us to praise God for who he is and what he's done for us. So I'm going to ask the team to come up. We want to just sing a couple of songs in response. Just worship God because Jesus is alive. And our faith means trusting this. So Heavenly Father, I just thank you. Um, God, we, we shouldn't just preach and hear and be excited about the resurrection at Easter because that is, that is everything that we believe in, that you died and that you rose from the dead. And so Jesus, I thank you that there were eyewitness accounts to the resurrected Jesus standing in front of people. I, I thank you that Christianity stands apart from every other worldview and every other religion and every other faith idea because, Jesus, you're alive. You are our God and our King and our Savior. So I pray, God, that you would strengthen our faith. It's, it's so encouraging seeing the disciples having to wrestle with this new idea to them that you, Jesus, would be alive and how even John in his whatever that was that he saw the evidence and it says that he believed and that Mary then was called by name and she believed and we're going to see next week that all of the disciples and Peter and Thomas, they met you and they believed and so, Jesus, faith in you is not just a faith in your teaching or in that you are a great guy. Faith in you is believing that you are unseen and yet you are alive, that you are ruling and reigning, that we confess, Jesus, you are Lord and we believe in our hearts that you were raised from the dead. So strengthen our faith in that, God. And now as we sing and worship you, God, we just want to make much of you, Jesus, give you the honor and the glory that you are due because of what you've done. And so we just pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.